Please rise for the reading of God's Word from Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Hear now God's Word. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And thus far the reading of God's Word and all God's people said. Amen. The Bible is full of warnings, among other things. And we should especially take notice when it warns us not to be deceived, not to be fooled, not to be tricked. The particular deception here in this text involves us thinking that somehow our sins will not bear their fruit, that they will not find us out, that we're special. But there, but here is, there, excuse me, but there is always some kind of a harvest. There is either a harvest of joy in our lives or a harvest of despair, and this harvest is always the product of what has previously been sown. And so God has warned us from the beginning, but we, like children, are prone not to listen. And so this passage tells us that God will not be mocked. That is, He will not let us take His word lightly. We're to pay attention. We're to listen. And as a parent would do with a child, listen to me. Look at me. Look me in the eyes. I'm speaking to you. And so if we have that image of this text, that God is speaking to us as His children and He's calling upon us to pay careful attention to this. Last week, I began by citing Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and I'll remind you this is part 2 of last week's sermon on ugly as sin. But I began citing, by citing Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, which gives us the context of our Christian life. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So remember, sin is the problem. The problem. It's the only problem. It's the root of all of our problems. It it affects our bodies, it affects our minds, it affects our emotions. And, And the problem is we tend, as both these texts indicate, we tend to take it too lightly, which is, of course, a part of its deception. It's not a big deal. Everybody's doing it. In this race that we're running, though, sin is what always threatens to trip us up. To cause us to stumble and fall and perhaps not even finish the race. Certainly it slows us down. I pointed out that it's not God's law though. It's not the Bible. It's not the Word of God that actually makes us feel bad. Sometimes people will talk about that. The preacher preaches too much about sin. Or the Bible talks too much about sin. 
But what does the Bible do? What is the preacher trying to do? Uh, It is not the Bible that makes us feel bad. Uh, Many make that mistake, but it is the sin itself. The law shines the light on the sin. If there's no sin to be exposed, you wouldn't feel bad. Wouldn't be a problem. Not talking about me. That doesn't apply to me, so why would I feel bad about that? God's Word provides the safe boundaries for a happy and a productive life. God doesn't shine the light on our sin because He wants us to be unhappy. He wants us to be happy. The law of God is about love. He says, if you'll do this, you'll live. You do this, you'll be blessed. You stay in these boundaries, you're going to have productivity and happiness and joy. You step outside of that, it's not going to go so well. And so he's given us his law because he loves us. And sin, that is a violation of God's law, not doing what he says or doing what he says not to do. Sin is that which separates us from God. It separates us from each other. In other words, it kills We might treat the symptoms of sin in a variety of ways, but ultimately, no problem can be solved until sin is dealt with. God has given us a prescription for dealing with it. He's given us a Savior, first of all, to take our sins upon Him, take away our sins. But then He's also given us all kinds of things in His Word. He's given us His Spirit, the Bible. He's given us the church. He's given us one another. He's given us prayer. He's given us all kinds of things to help us overcome this thing that's killing us and killing our relationships. So ultimately, no problem can be solved as long as sin isn't dealt with. That's why the gospel is so critical. That's why the gospel is the truly, it's truly good news. And yet the gospel is treated so lightly, we end up treating it somewhat like just a future fire insurance. I want to believe just enough to get me to heaven just in case, but not enough that I really want to reckon with my sins or deal with the real problem. And so that's just a review from last week. So let's continue our look at the ugliness of sin, the hideousness of sin, and its devastating effects on us. Because until we have a real view of that, until we truly apprehend and comprehend what sin is doing, again, we, we have a tendency to be deceived and to push it aside or minimize it. But what is happening when we sin? Every time we sin, big sin, little sin, When we violate God's law, which was given by God for our good, we are attempting to dethrone God and enthrone ourselves. Sin is therefore high treason against a holy God. We are rebels. We are criminals in God's universe. We simply don't want God telling us what to do. Every prodigal who leaves his father's house, in effect, says, I think I would be better off somewhere else. And when we sin, we're saying that God isn't wise. God is not sufficient. God is not loving. God is harsh. He expects way too much of me. And when we sin, we're saying that we know better than God. We're saying that God perhaps doesn't really see us. He doesn't regard us. 
And every time we sin, we at least for a moment become atheists. Sin shows contempt for God's love. It's ugly. Ralph Benning wrote uh, in his The Sinfulness of Sin, All God's works were good exceedingly, beautiful even to admiration, but the works of sin are deformed and monstrously ugly, for it works disorder, confusion, and everything that is abominable. Mankind's made in the image of God, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. So men and women before sin were gorgeous. My grandfather used to love to ask the kids, am I, am I beautiful or am I gorgeous? Those were the two choices. We were gorgeous. Sin, which is disobedience to God, defaced that image, and made it ugly. The devil knew in his temptation of our first parents that their sin, even though he told them otherwise, he knew that their sin could never make them like God. That was an absolute lie. Sin, rather, made them like devils. He who sins is of the devil, 1 John 3.8. John 8.44, Jesus said, You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. We'd say his own heart. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Here's one thing to remember. Every sin, big or little, every sin is contrary to man. Every sin is contrary to you. It's against you. It will hurt you. It will kill you. It will corrupt you. Because whatever is contrary to God is contrary to man. Remember, communion with God is our ultimate happiness, our ultimate goal, and sin always tears communion apart. Sin deceives, it distorts, separates, it corrupts, it kills, even your so-called little sins. Because sin, you see, moves us little by little, inch by inch, inching us toward the cliff's edge. For example... Thought sins. Those are root sins. As a man thinks in his heart, so is it. Matthew fifteen nineteen. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Where did that start? Inside of you. Inside your mind. All of the ugliness and suffering in the world and also all this ugliness and suffering in your life is due to sin. And like the angels who fell from their estate, their place, if you will, uh, in, uh, uh, they fell from their estate of glory that they had before, so too your sins take you down. And your sins take you down 
every time. Now, I want us to look this morning at the effects of sin in three relationships. How does how does sin affect our relationship with God? How does sin affect our relationship with others? And then how does sin affect us? And then I'm going to conclude today. I'll give you a heads up for you note takers. I've got three lists of ten things. Uh, so you have a lot of writing to do at the end. I can email those out if you want. Well, first, sin of these three things, the effects of sin, sin breaks communion with God. Sin is always against God. When Joseph was tempted to commit adultery with Potiphar's wife, he knew if he sinned, it would be against God. And this is what he told Potiphar's wife right in the midst of that temptation. He said, there is no one greater in this house than I, nor has, nor has he, that is Potiphar, kept back anything from me except you. Because you're his wife. And then hear what he says. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph knew someone else was there too. He had a complete awareness that he was never alone. Likewise, King David knew that his sins were against God. Psalm 51.4, he cries out to God. He says, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Jesus said to his disciples, if you love me, keep my commandments. So the first thing sin does is it shows contempt for God and contempt for his love. Romans 8, 7 and 8, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We, our sins displease God, to put it mildly. Sin alienates us from the life of God, and, you, and you're described as, for example, we are described as having been dead in trespasses and sins. Dead doesn't mean, remember, that you don't exist. It means you've been cut off, separated from the source of life. Psalm 7, 11, God is angry with the wicked every day. Isaiah said, but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. The relationship is broken like Adam and Eve who hid themselves from God, we do the same thing. 1 John 1.6 If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. So first, sin separates us from God. Cuts us off. He's not hearing our prayers. We're in sin. There's death. We hide ourselves. Second, sin breaks communion with our neighbors. I want to remind you that where we're headed this morning, as we do every Lord's Day, is to the communion table. Communion with God, communion with one another, is essential to life. But remember, your sins always have consequences. No one gets away without damage being done to them or to those who are around them. A sinner reaps sin's consequences well after the sin was committed. 
Some of us today are still reaping damage done by sins committed by other people. Numbers 14.33 And your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. Exodus 34.7 God keeps mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. We've talked about this recently. I think what that's saying is it's not that the guilt of, a, say, your grandfather's sins is now you're, you're not being penalized directly in that sense. But oftentimes what happens in families and in communities and cultures and, and uh, all kinds of, uh, of communities, in fact, sinful habits get passed on generation to generation, whether it's, uh, you know, the way we talk or things we do or laziness. There's all kinds of sins, of course, and, and there's, that's why it matters how you raise your children. And if, you, if they haven't been trained or if they've been trained in unrighteousness or if they've seen you sin, it's likely they're going to take up those same sins and perpetuate this over and over. 2 Corinthians 6.14, For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? You see, when you sin, you hurt other people. We are connected all the time. That's inescapable. We hurt them directly, sometimes by violence or lying or gossip or immorality or theft. But we also hurt them indirectly by us not being godly, by us not being Christ-like. We are always hurt. We always hurt them. And it's often in ways that we haven't ever imagined. And then when we discover that, Wow, I didn't think about that. Never, never crossed my mind that this would have this kind of ripple effect. Sin, you see, is the opposite of love, which means it is selfish. It's all about me and what I want, me being gratified at your expense. In fact, all sin, I believe, I'm open, I've been thinking about this for a while, and I, I'm open to correction if this isn't true, but I think every sin is a form of theft. It's always taking something that's not mine. And when I do, when I sin, when I take something that's not mine, like all theft, that means someone else has to pay the price. And I think what forgiveness is, every time is someone like God saying to me, I'll pay for it. You stole it. You destroyed it. It's gone. And I'll pay the price. As though you never took it. That's what forgiveness is. You stole my good name. You stole my trust. You stole my bicycle. You stole something. You stole God's name and put it in the trash by... Taking it in vain. You stole God's glory by worshiping other gods.
You cannot sin and it not affect others. You know this if you live in a family because you've seen it and you've heard it. Our sins hurt others in countless ways. I was going to list the ways, but the list got too long. I was reminded, reminded me of a statement G.K. Chesterton said. He said, I once planned to write a book of poems entirely about the things in my pocket, but I found it would be too long and the age of great epics has passed. Um, The list of the ways sins hurt other people really goes on and on. It it, It would be impossible to calculate. Third, so we talked about how sin affects you and God and how it affects you and others, but how does it affect you? Just you. You know, in the Reformed faith, we understand that the Bible teaches that man is totally depraved. That is, sin has affected every part of man. Every part of you. Now, he isn't utterly depraved. He's not as bad as he possibly can be. Nevertheless, no part of you escapes escapes unscathed by sin. Body, we are described as blind, deaf, lame, And we all suffer from illness and physical death. The mind, our thoughts, our understanding, the whole, uh, Isaiah 1, 5 and 6, the whole head is sick, the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. Jeremiah 17, 8, the heart, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We are born dying. The wages of sin is death. Sin has caused us all an incredible amount of pain and sorrow and suffering. And at its root, sin, ours and other people's sins, are the cause of guilt and shame and poor health and anxiety, and fear, and depression, and perversion, and fatigue, and bitterness, and hatred, and much, much more. James 1, 14-15, But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires, selfishness, and enticed, and then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And after we've sinned, we're quick to want to justify it or minimize it. Or perhaps we could just call it something else. You don't like it when someone calls you a liar or a thief, even though you know you have lied before and you have stolen before. Proverbs 30:20 says, This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats. And she wipes her mouth and she says, I have done no wickedness. I haven't done anything wrong. Ralph Benning again describes it this way. Men disguise sin. For surely, were they to call it by its own name and look it in the face, they know they should find it, it, they find it such an ugly hag as was not fit for the embraces of men, no, not even of devils. The practice of giving new names to sin condemns it. They cannot endure to be called by the name of the sin which they've committed and which they practice. No drunkard likes to be so called, but takes it for a disgrace. No liar will receive the lie given him, but as an affront. 
No adulterer will own that name. Now, whoever follows a lawful and honest trade, a calling, uh, is not ashamed of its name. For example, a shoemaker. But sin is such an ugly, base employment that those who commit sin will not endure being called a sin maker. Though that is their trade. Sin puts our eyes out and turns us into fools. Fools laugh and jest at sin. Proverbs 10.23, to do evil is like sport to a fool. Fools despise wisdom and instruction, Proverbs tell us. But you know, it never, ever turns out like we thought it would. Again, Ralph Benning, men think they are going to pleasure and profit, honor and happiness, but alas, they are mistaken and they are going to pain and loss, to disgrace and death. Do you remember how Amnon lusted after his sister Tamar? Manipulated, couldn't eat. He he wanted her so bad. And ultimately, he raped her. The very thing he wanted so bad turned so bitter. Listen to this, 2 Samuel 13, 15. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly. So that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love or the lust with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Arise, get out of here. Can't stand to see you. Sin is so disappointing. False joy, real misery. So, back to deception. The key, one of the key features of sin is that it is deceptive and the first person it deceives is us. Hebrews 3, 12-13 Brethren, beware, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God... But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. There's another one of those warnings. So, here's the three lists. Ten ways uh, sin deceives. I'm just going to run through these fast. Number one, it persuades us that it's not a sin. Remember the devil and and Eve? This this is good. This isn't bad. Look at it. It's good for food. What could be wrong with that? Premarital sex. Hey, we're in love. It's okay. It's good. God said it didn't, but I think I know better than he does. So sin persuades us that it's not a sin. Number two, special pleading. It's a sin for others, but not for me. I can handle it. I can watch this filth, and it doesn't affect me. Those other people, you know, they're, that's probably not good for them. Number three, number three, it's just one sin, only one. 
and only once. Minimize it. No big deal. And number four, it's only a little sin. Number five, it's a private sin and it won't hurt anyone else. I'm alone in my bedroom with the lights out. It won't hurt anybody else, will it? Oh, yes, it will. Number six, it promises great pleasure or profit. And if I could just get ahead at my job or if I had a little extra money, then I'll do good things. Then I'll be, I'll do the right thing. Just this one time. Number seven, other, other people do it. And they seem to get away with it. And they seem to be prospering, so it must be okay. Oh, this is a big one. This is a real big one for Christians. So number eight, I can repent and God will forgive me. I'll just do it and ask forgiveness. God has to forgive me, right? Number nine, I've gotten away with it before. Boy, don't brag about that. You talk about costly. You better hope you don't get away with it. Number one, you won't get away with it. The sooner you get caught, the better. What happens if you don't get caught? Would you like to follow that story out to the end? How about number 10? I'm only human. I'm just a sinner. I can't help it. So, ten ways sin deceives. And I'm sure there are others. Second list, ten ways we compound sin. Because we're always trying to manage sin. Number one, lying to cover up sin. Sins usually come in groups. There's the big sin, and then there's all the stuff that comes with it. There are all the little sins that we had that led up to the big sin, that enabled us, that got us closer and closer to the edge of the cliff, and then there's the big sin, and then there's all the stuff, the sins that come after to try to cover it up. Number two, we compound sin by leading other people to sin, either by example or by trying to get them to do it too so we'll feel better. Hey, it's... We like it when other people are doing what we're doing. makes us feel better. Number three, we follow others in sin. Well, they're doing it. I can do it too. So that's kind of the flip side of that. We either lead somebody to sin or we follow somebody in sin. Number four, justifying sin. Well, so-and-so did this, and if they had done better, I wouldn't have done this. It's really their fault. It's the woman you gave me, God. Number five, concealing sin. I'm just not going to tell anybody. I'm just going to do this, and I'm not going to reveal it. Number six, not grieving over sin. Have you gotten comfortable with some of your sins? Puritans call some of them darling sins. Your pet. Keep it nearby. So you don't grieve over sin. You've gotten comfortable with it. Number seven, being an accessory to other people's sins is how you compound sin. You wouldn't want to tell on your friend, would you? Because that's more important than honesty. And so you help cover up other people's sins. Number eight, approving of or consenting to sin. Number nine, making light of sin, particularly sometimes in other people. 
Number 10, defending or excusing sin. I realize there's overlap in some of these, but I want you to think about it from a lot of different angles. Now, maybe the most important for today's message, 10 remedies for sin. And I want to read a a verse of scripture with most of these. How do I overcome sin? How do I fight this monster? How do I get this ugliness out of my life? Now, I say this, if you'll take these to heart and actually do them, I will guarantee you a marked improvement in your life and much, much more good fruit. If you just listen to them and don't do them, it's like, getting a, you know, it's like going to the doctor and getting an antibiotic. Uh, you have an infection and they give you these bottle of red pills, take two a day. And you get them and you take them home and set them on the shelf. Won't work. Don't blame the pills. Okay? So here's the remedies. Number one, hide God's word in your heart. Well, that's so Sunday school, isn't it? Yep, sure is. By the way, most of these are really simple. They're not easy, but they are simple. How can a young man cleanse his ways, David asked. Psalm 119, 9 and 11, By taking heed thereto according to thy word, thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Are you doing that? Have you done that? Take a sin that you deal with, that you say you're struggling with. Do you know a couple of verses that the Bible addresses that subject? Have you memorized them? I mean like really memorized them, like... You can say them just like that. You've gone over them enough times that they are really all the way in your heart. So that, you see, being in, in here, being in the book, in the Bible, sitting on your shelf at home doesn't help you very much. It's in there somewhere. How about if you know right where it is all the time, right here in your heart, ready to go? The minute the temptation shows up, Number two, meditate on good things. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. If there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate, think about these things. You can start by memorizing that passage. So your thought life is critical. Why? Because that's where sin gets started, is in your thought life. And if you're doing this, you're thinking about these things, you're not sinning. You put something else in its place. Number three, pray. Jesus said, Matthew 26, 41, Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Be on the lookout and pray. Number four, keep good company. Here's another one of those do not be deceived verses. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 and 34. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some of you do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Hang out with godly people and you'll sin less. Just that simple. Hang out with people who don't love God, you'll sin more. 
Number five, confess your sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and truth's not in us. But First John 1, 8 and 9, if we confess our sins, what is confession? It's just agreeing with God. God, you're right. I'm wrong. What you said about me is true. If we confess our sins, I did not do what you said to do. I lost my temper. I let unwholesome words come out of my mouth. You're right. I shouldn't have done that. You told me not to do that, and I did it. And I'm confessing that sin. He is faithful and just to pay for it. You stole from me, and I'll pay for it. He'll forgive you your sins and wipe the slate clean. Forgive and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Wow. Number six. Boy, this is a hard one. Look away. Temptation, right there. Look over there. Don't go there. Don't inch over there close to it. Don't put your arm around it. Don't give it a hug. Don't pet it. Don't nurse it. Second Timothy, I'm going to give you two verses for this one. Second Timothy 2.22 Flee also youthful lust. Flee. Get out of Dodge. Get out of here. Don't stick around, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Back to the friends you hang out with. Got somebody you can call? The other verse, Job 31.1, Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? I made myself some rules based upon the Word of God that I'm not going to do that. I'm not even going to look. Number seven, 1 Thessalonians 5.22, avoid the appearance of evil. Well, I wasn't really doing anything wrong. Yeah, but you were hanging out and you were in a place where wrong things can happen. And if you weren't there, if if it can't happen, it won't happen. So don't even be there. Don't be where it can happen. Oh, we were just talking. No, but you've got to put the word just in front of it. It's probably a problem. Okay? Number eight, don't allow little sins. Luke 16.10, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. Example, I mean, there's all kinds of examples. But uh, when, I see, when I see a young couple uh, walking somewhere, I, I, let her, I remember seeing this years ago, and it just struck me. She had on her skin-tight jeans, and somehow he was able to wedge his hand into her back pocket while they walked down the mall. Well, if you're willing to do that in front of everybody else, uh, we can just assume what happens when nobody else is around. Avoid these little things. These little, I'm going to get as close as I can. And you know what happens? Then a little puff of wind comes up and you fall over the edge of the cliff. And you know the first thing you say? I didn't mean to. You've got to mean not to. That's different. Number nine, beware of idleness. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, 
Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know, if you're busy doing the things God's called you to do every day, if you're a student, that means a lot of your time spent being a student. If you have a job to do, you're doing your job. If you're, you know, just doing the things God's called you to do in addition to praying and reading your Bible and showing hospitality and being kind and helping the poor. and I mean, we go down all the things God's called. If you're busy doing that and not sitting around, and if, if a lot of your time is spent or uh, hanging out, you're probably going to get into sin. I, oh, we were just hanging out. Well, i got one sinner and another sinner and four more sinners, and we're going to let them hang out. Guess what's going to happen? Probably. Oh, we weren't just hanging out. We got together to pray with each other. Oh, okay, that's different. Number ten. This one can really do a series on this. Cultivate the fear of God. Why do people sin? Because there is no fear of God before their eyes. God has been vanquished. He's out of sight. He's out of mind. I can do whatever the hell I want to do. Proverbs 14.27 The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. Cultivate an awareness of the presence of God by having His Word in your heart, by talking to Him, by thinking about Him. All these things we've been talking about, hanging out with other people who love God and fear God, all of these things together will bring you to this. And if you fear God, you won't sin. Conclusion. Sin will cost you dearly, both now and in the future. Our sins outlive us. They're generational. Sin is always worse than we imagined. The gospel is always way better than we imagined. Titus 2, 11-14 For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, every sin, and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Let's pray. Our Creator and Heavenly Father, who is present everywhere in heaven and in earth, in whom we live and move and have our being, we humbly bow before your presence and honor you this holy day. We cannot hide from your presence. For as the psalmist says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. 
If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. And if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. And if I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide, hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Lord, we have done many things in the dark. We have turned aside from the paths of righteousness and pursued our own way. We have sinned in countless ways and done incalculable damage to ourselves and to others. Please shine your light on that darkness. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in us. And lead us in the everlasting way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if it feels like I was preaching to you today, I can assure you that I was. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That necessarily includes you and me. That personalized feeling that you have, if you have it, is because of the work of the Holy Spirit applying God's Word to you. And for this, we should all give thanks. Hebrews 4, 11-13, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience, speaking about those who fell in the wilderness. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so we come again to the Lord's table where we remember the good news that Jesus died to pay for all of our thefts, all of our sins, every last one of them. He knows all about you and me. He knows all the awful things we have thought And said and done. He knows our hearts in their darkest moments. And he knew all that about you when he went to the cross. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him all those iniquities. Every last one of them were piled up and put on him. As your pastor, I join with the Apostle Paul in saying to you from 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Be made right with God. 
For he, that is God the Father, made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. That we, this is amazing, (laughs) that we might be the righteousness of God. Let that soak in just a bit. All, I'm sorry for the vernacular, maybe, all that crap of yours was put on him. He washed us and made us perfectly clean and robed us in his righteousness. That's what we're coming to remember right now. So that we can start this week fresh, clean, and ready to go. Blessed are you, O Father, to you belongs all praise and glory. Blessed be your name, O God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. You have guided us all the years of our lives. You have supplied all our needs, quenched all our thirst, have healed all our wounds, and have heard all our prayers. We are your people, and we desire to serve you forever. We are delighted to claim your name and worship and adore you. Thank you for the faithful men and women who have gone before us, for those who loved you all their lives, and who delivered the gospel through the ages even unto us, so that we might join with them and with our children and with those not yet born to embrace and proclaim our common salvation. Bless this Lord's Day, we pray. May we learn how to delight and rest in you. Bless our feast and our fellowship. Blessed are you, O Father, whom we serve in your Son, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be glory forevermore. Amen. Amen. Grace be with all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. Amen. Amen.